Welcome this morning to New Life Community Church. So good to be in the house of God, isn't it? So good to be worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm going to ask that you stand with me one last time here. And I want to pray and I want to read scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare to your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made the covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Word of the Lord. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to our hearts the way that you know how. Father, we come before you today asking that you would unclog our ears, that you would sensitize our heart, that you would eliminate distraction, that you would clarify understanding, that we would receive from you a word for us today like only you know how to do. So. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Come and speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Sometimes we don't always understand rules. Uh, some rules we look at and we read and we think, why does that rule even exist? I remember being in another country and visiting a zoo. But in this zoo, it was a little bit different because some of the animals were roaming free. And I'll never forget walking up to the monkey area, and there was a big sign that said, warning, do not feed the monkeys. Big warning sign. And so... I was just standing there thinking, they don't look that dangerous. I mean, they look pretty cute. They were small monkeys. And some lady came up and she said, oh, look how cute the monkeys are. And she saw the sign right in front of her, do not feed the monkeys, danger. And she said, I don't know why they say that. They just probably don't like what we feed them. And she reached in her purse and pulled out some snacks. And she said, come here, little monkey, come here. And so one little shy monkey came up and looked and watched and then came up and he got her food and she said, oh, look how sweet this little monkey is. And so she gave him a little bit more. And then a few other monkeys showed up around the edge and started coming for food. And she said, look, look, honey, to her husband, look, I'm feeding the little monkeys. And then the monkeys started to get a little more aggressive and started pushing each other around. They wanted the food and started coming in. And she said, no, monkey. Monkey, no monkey, and pretty soon they were climbing on her, trying to get her purse, and she ran out of there with monkeys chasing her behind her, and she learned. 
That rule, even though initially did not make sense to her, there was a reason for that rule. When we talk about the Ten Commandments, oftentimes we think of the Ten Commandments as burdensome, as laws that take away our freedom or our joy or limit us or prohibit us from living the kind of life that we want to live. But like the lady with the monkey, these are given to us by a loving father who is actually looking out for our good. And so in our series that we started last week and continue on today, we're looking at the 10 commandments. And so I want to start by saying that 97% of Americans believe in the 10 commandments, but only five can name three of them. So we believe in those 10 commandments, but we're not really sure what they are. And by the way, the 10 commandments, as we say, are really a misnomer because nowhere in the Bible does it say 10 commandments. It's actually found in the Greek, I mean, sorry, in the Hebrew, it's in the Old Testament. And it's mentioned three times in the Old Testament. But the word that is used in the Hebrew is the 10 words or the 10 sayings or the 10 matters. In fact, the English word is decalogue, which deca means 10, and log comes from logos, which means words. So literally, it's not the 10 commandments, it's the 10 words. So I want to talk to you about the 10 words today, the 10 matters that are important to God. Now, I, I want to say that these Ten Commandments, well, they're compelling how they were given. These are not just inspired by people that wrote them down. These happened in a very dramatic way because they're important. Uh, you know the story. The people of Israel were taken out of 400 years of slavery. They're on their way to the promised land, a land that God has promised to them, a land, a covenant, and now they need laws for them to flourish as a society. And so Moses, who had led them out of the promised land, he says, God has called me up to Mount Sinai. All the people of Israel gather around to watch Moses. Moses starts to go towards this mountain. There's thunder, there's fire, there's lightning, there's smoke. The people are afraid. They're, they're, they're afraid as they tremble, as they see Mo Moses walking up towards this mountain with his assistant uh, beside him, Joshua. And he goes up to a certain part in the mountain and he tells Joshua, wait for me. And he goes up into the mountain and the Bible says that God gave him by his finger wrote on tablets of stone 10 words, 10 important matters that he wanted this society to live by. We know them as the Ten Commandments. And so you may be a part of that group of people that says, I believe in the Ten Commandments, but now what are they again? Let me just tell you the Ten Commandments right now. And let me just remind you that these Ten Commandments, well, they, they speak. They're not rules about what we shouldn't do they speak to the heart of who God is. When you make a rule, it's because you, if you're a loving father, 
you're caring for your children. So listen to these 10 commandments and what they say about God. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. What does it tell us? God is God. Two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. God is the creator. Three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. God is holy. Remember the Sabbath day. God is rest. Honor your father and your mother. God is father. You shall not murder. God is life. You shall not commit adultery. God is faithful. You shall not steal. God is a provider. You shall not lie. God is truth. You shall not covet. God is sufficient. The Ten Commandments. Commandment number one, however, is one of the most powerful, compelling commandments of all the Ten Commandments. Because commandment number one, if you don't get this right, you get all the other commandments wrong. Commandment number one is like the button illustration. If you button your shirt right, if you get the first button right, then you will get all the other buttons right. If you get the first button wrong, then your entire shirt will be misbuttoned, if that's even a word. And so... Let me start with commandment number one and let me break it down. Commandment number one is you shall have no other gods before you. You shall have no other gods before me, it says. And that's found in Deuteronomy chapter five, verse seven and Exodus chapter 20, verse three. So I'm gonna do a whole message on that one phrase. And that one phrase about having no other God before me um, It's broken down into three things, three meanings of before me. Number one, it talks, uh, it's, he talks about having other gods instead of me, instead of me, substitutes. Number two, in front of me, that's about importance. And number three, in addition to me, that's about adding to our life. So let's start with number one. Thou, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's talk about what it means to not have any other gods instead of me, or we substitute something else for God. This word before me is a powerful word. It's a word like that's used in marriage. In other words, you shall have no other God or no other being that is more important than I am. I was married over 30 years ago. I stood before my father, who was the pastor that married me, with my beautiful bride right in front of me. And I vowed to her that I would be faithful to her and her only, that there would be no other woman in my life, that I would put her uh, front and center, and that we would be in exclusive relationship with one another. That was a commitment that I made. The Ten Commandments say, God is saying, if I'm to be your God, I do not want any substitutes to me. I want to be number one. I don't want to be in competition with others. I don't want to be in addition to others. 
If I am to be your God, then I want to take the place of supreme importance in your life. Now, it's ironic if you think about the Ten Commandments, what happened. How quickly we stray from having God in number one place. How about it? Let's be honest. How many times have you said, God, you're going to be number one. I consecrate my life. And then a year later, you realize, well, he's not really number one in my life. Uh, Think about the irony of Moses going up to the mountain, the Mount Sinai. And the Bible says that the people of Israel gathered around and there was about a million people that were let out of Israel. So this is a big crowd of people and they gather around the mountain Moses goes up to the mountain with Joshua, his assistant. He's up in the mountain. The Bible says he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. The people of Israel are waiting. They keep checking to see, is Moses back? No, it's only been a day. Day three, is he back? No. A week goes by. Hey, have you seen Moses? No. Two weeks go by, Moses is still not there. 30 days go by, Moses still hasn't come down. And listen what happens. The Bible says, this is found in Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. If you remember who Aaron was, he was Moses' brother who was a priest. They gathered around Aaron and they said, come Make us gods who will go before us. As this fellow Moses brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Moses has gone 40 days, and they're already saying to Aaron, hey, we don't know what happened to Moses. The leader's gone. Make us some other god. I want you to hear what happened. Listen, this is really important. Aaron said, tomorrow shall be a feast. So Aaron gathers all the jewelry, all the gold, and he, he melts the gold and he forms a golden what? A golden calf. Why a golden calf? He forms a golden calf because the gods of Egypt were in the form of a calf, a cow. So they had come out of Egypt But only after 40 days of Moses being up in the mountain, they already want to make a God like the gods they came from. But I want you to notice what happens this time. They tell Aaron to do it, and Aaron says, we're going to worship Yahweh, our God, but we're going to do it in the form of a calf. I'm going to teach you a word that some of you may know or some of you may not know. The word is syncretism. Syncretism. Syncretism is inappropriate blending of non-Christian religious ideas with Christian ideas. Religious syncretism is the replacement or dilution of essential truths of the gospel through the incorporation of non-Christian elements. In other words, syncretism was the people of Israel said, we don't know where Moses is at. So let's go back to what we had in Egypt, a golden calf. Let's take the calf 
and let's say that this calf belongs to Yahweh God. So we're going to mix pagan practices with new uh, godly practices, and it's called syncretism. Let me tell you, we do this all the time. When we don't want to let go of our past, we bring our past into our present, and we mix it with Christianity. In Haiti, uh, when Christian missionaries first went to Haiti, there was the practice of voodooism, sacrificing chickens, all kinds of dark magic. And so people that did not want to leave voodooism behind, they incorporated Christianity into their voodooism, and they had a cross and a Bible, but they had voodoo, uh, voodoo practices with it, and that's called syncretism, where they mixed an old religion with the new practice of God. I've been to Africa. In Africa, there's certain tribal pre people, as the missionaries came and they gave the gospel, there were people that would uh, worship trees and ancestral worship. And so the, the tribal people who did not want to let go of their pagan practices, they would mix Christianity with their pagan practices, and you have this weird religion, a bunch of weird religions in Africa that have Christianity as a part of it, but it's not authentic Christianity because it's syncretism. Say it out loud. What is it? Syncretism is mixing an old religion with a new practice, mixing it all together and saying, this is what we're going to follow. The Bible says the first commandment is thou shalt not have any other God before me. When we mix the old with the new, because we don't want to get rid of the old, we create syncretism. It's a form of Christianity that's not really the authentic form of Christianity laid out in Scripture. It is a diluted, mixed up form of Christianity, and we do it a lot today. Uh, for example, we sometimes mix pop psychology with Christianity. We bring in the ideas out there, we bring it in here, we mix it together, and we say, voila, this is what I believe. For example, here's one I hear a lot. We just need to love ourselves more. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you said that. We just need to love our, like, like God, like the Bible says, love yourself more. Let me say, the Bible never says love yourself more. You say, well, pastor, are we not supposed to love ourselves? Well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you love God, God views you as a person of dignity and value. And if you love God more, then you will feel like you are a person of dignity and value because you're rooted in the identity of God and you will value yourself and take care of yourself and take care of your relationships. But it never says love yourself more because sometimes the root of our selfishness is loving ourselves more than others and loving ourselves more than God. That's pop psychology. Uh, sometimes we mix positive thinking with Christianity. And in essence, we come to Christianity and we say, hey, you know, God wants me healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. 
And so I'm going to embrace Christianity because Christianity will make me wealthier. Christianity will make me healthier. And Christianity will make me more prosperous because God is like this little rabbit's foot that if I just, you know, rub it a little bit, God help me out when I'm in trouble. God help me to get this job. God help me when I'm sick. God help me make a lot of money. And so I use God a little bit like a rabbit's foot. I've embraced the ideas of our culture out there and I've mixed it with Christianity and I've concocted my own form of Christianity, the healthy, wealthy, prosperous, positive thinking Christianity, and say, well, that's following God. No, that's syncretism. The Bible actually says, if you want to come and follow me, get ready for persecution and suffering, because oftentimes following Christ brings trials in your life. Hello. The Bible says you want to follow me, die to yourself, and then you'll be alive to me. The Bible says it's appointed unto us that part of our calling is sometimes difficulty will come in our calling. That following Jesus doesn't make life necessarily healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Yet God does bless us, but it doesn't mean that life is easier by following Jesus. That's a mixture of cultural with Christianity, and we've concocted our own version Romans chapter one says that people made God into their own image. They dispelled the real image of God and they made God into their own image. Listen, God is love and we like to talk about, and he is. And God, is, God forgives and he does no matter what you've done. But God is also holy and God is also a consuming fire and God is also unapproachable and there is a heaven, which we like to talk about, but the Bible also talks about a hell, which we don't like to talk about. In other words, we can't pick and choose what we like about Scripture. God is in his totality who God is, not our version of God. The first commandment says this. The very first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me, instead of me. You can't substitute something else for who God is. As the people of Israel did when Moses went up to the mountain. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, it says, therefore, my dear friends, flee idolatry. Ephesians chapter five, verse five says, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Listen to me very well. What is idolatry? Idolatry is when you put anything or anyone higher than God in your life. That's idolatry. Idolatry is when something is more important to God, something is more important to you than God is. That's idolatry. In fact, it tells us in scripture, listen, it says, run away from idolatry. Do you know that you can make your job an idol? Do you know that you can make your boyfriend an idol? Do you know that you can make your car an idol? Do you know that you can make your children an idol? Do you know that whatever you value most, whatever causes you to make decisions around that, whatever you value most in life, highest in life, to the highest degree in life, 
that becomes an idol. An idol is anything, anything that we value above anything else in life that becomes an idol. Listen, scripture says this, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater. If you value a relationship more than you value God, then he says you've idolized that relationship. Anything in life that has an extraordinary or an ordinate value in your life that supersedes God, it doesn't have to be a totem pole, but that has become an idol. And God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, write this down. Not only are we talking about not having instead of me, the second one is in front of me. We place other things before him. Notice what it tells us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third or fourth generation of those who hate me. Do you remember when someone came to Jesus in the New Testament and they approached Jesus and they said, of all the commandments, which is the most important commandment? This is found in Matthew chapter 12. And Jesus said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says, the most important commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the most important commandment. And then he goes on to say, and by the way, the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, if you analyze the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments are about our relationship with God, and the last six commandments are about our relationship with others. Aha. Uh -huh. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summary of the Ten Commandments. Now, now, now hear, hear me well. Listen. The Ten thou shalt have no other gods in front of me has to do with making God the top priority of your affection. The problem with the word love is that we use it for everything in our society and we've sort of diminished the power of this word, haven't we? You say, I love Giordano's pizza. And then you say, and I love my husband and I love God. Well, you have pizza, your husband, and God all in the same place, and we use the same word for it. And so it, it kind of diminishes. In the Greek New Testament, there's various words for love. There's philios, which is brotherly love. There's eros, which is more sexual romantic love. And then there's agape, which is this unconditional, unfettered love that we have towards God. And so in the, in the New Testament, they use various words for love, but in our English language, we just use one word and it feels like we diminish the power of that word that we use for love. And so basically, uh, he's telling us in this is there should be 
nothing that you put in front of me, nothing that should come above me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, but seek first what? His kingdom and righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. It's about priority of importance. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything shall be added unto you. Now, in the Greek culture, in the Greek culture, there was five classic gods of paganism. There was the God of war, the God of comfort, the God of success, the God of romance, and the God of wisdom. I believe that oftentimes we fall into the trap of making one of those five gods the pursuit that we have in life bigger than God himself. Listen to me well. The five classic gods of paganism, the god, of, the god Mars was considered the god of war, power, and conquering. There are certain people that make power and control their god. Their greatest object, object in life is to control and have power. We see this in governors. We see this oftentimes in dictators. But we also see it in relationships of overbearing, dictatorial people that like to control other people in relationships and manage and have all power and control over people they're married to or families because their greatest, their greatest goal in life is power and control. But we also have the God Bacchus. He's the God who promises comfort, joy, and thrills. Uh, there's a lot more people that buy into that God. I talk to people all the time, and I say, well, what do you want to do? I just want to have fun in life. What's your goal? I just want to have fun. I just want to be happy. And I say, is there anything wrong with that? Well, hedonism is the unabashed pursuit of pleasure. Can I tell you the problem with hedonism? Hedonism is saying my goal in life is to be happy. I just want to pursue pleasure. Whatever makes me happy, that I'll do. There's a lot of people in our society today that the, the way they make their decisions is they ask themselves this question. Does it make me happy? Does it make me happy? Can I tell you something? If pursuit of happiness and pleasure is your primary pursuit in life, then chances are you're going to end up in a very bad place. Let me explain how it works. The drug addict. If you were to ask someone that's a drug addict before they become very addicted, what are you trying to do? I'm just trying to be happy. So one snort, one puff, one injection, it just makes me happy. It takes away the pain. It makes me forget about things for the moment. And it feels good in the beginning. But the more they do it, the less gratification they get and the more they have to do it and the more they have to do it so that suddenly in a while 
They will give up their marriage and their kids. I've seen drug addicts steal from their children. Let kids, I've seen people steal wedding rings from their family. I've seen them lie and manipulate. Why? Because they want to be happy. And so happiness for them means I tramp on people. I betray people. I manipulate people. Why? My goal is happiness. But ultimately, I become an addict to the thing that is supposed to make me happy happy in life, and I end up very empty and very controlled by that which is supposed to make me happy. The pursuit of happiness is not found in whatever gives me pleasure. I talk to a married man, married in a relationship, 10 years in a relationship, who falls in an affair with a woman at his job. And what made you do that? I just want to be happy. So you just want to be happy, so you betray your wife, you uh, violate the covenant, your marriage vows, because you want to be happy. And so what happens with people that pursue hedonism, pleasure, is they ultimately become selfish people that become addicted, that become controlled, and usually they're the most miserable people on earth. Let me tell you something. Happiness or joy is a byproduct of pursuing something bigger than your own happiness. It's in pursuing God and his way. It's in pursuing your purpose and the plan that God has for your life. And happiness is a byproduct of chasing after God. It brings joy to our life when we're living in alignment with God. But happiness and joy is not our ultimate pursuit. God is our ultimate pursuit. And happiness and joy is a byproduct. So we have the God of power, the God of pleasure. Then we have the God of mammon, which is money and success. There are many people that they would say, I'm a follower of God, but really they make all their decision based on, does this give me more money or not? All of their life revolves around making more money. Now, let me say this. It's not a bad thing to make money. I believe that as a Christian, you should work hard, and probably your work ethic should generate money. And uh, some people say that money's the root of all evil. That's a misquotation of Scripture because the Bible never says that. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. When money becomes our God, then it becomes an evil in our life. When we see money and we understand we're stewards of it, then it can become something that brings a lot of good in our life. Are you tracking with me here? This is important to understand. I have a great illustration for this. Just this past week, a couple days ago, uh, Dee and I had the opportunity of spending some time with some billionaires. I've met a couple billionaires in my life, but not a lot. There's, but this happens to be a couple that's a billionaire. Uh, David and Barbara Green are the owners of a company called Hobby Lobby. Some of you may be familiar with Hobby Lobby. My wife, when she first met them, she said, oh, I love Hobby Lobby. Oh, I just, they, the, the hymns are going. I shop there all the time. I met them and I said, I don't like Hobby Lobby. <laughs> and they looked at me. I said, my wife spends too much time there and too much money in Hobby Lobby. I don't like Hobby Lobby. But listen, 
David and Barbara Green have made billions. They're billionaires. But here's what I loved about what they said. They're strong Christians, committed believers. And this is what, this is what uh, David, uh, David Green said. He said, I view myself as a steward, not as an owner of the money. He says, I make money, but he said, I've had the same salary for the last 17 years. I'm sure it's a very nice salary, but I've had the same salary for the last 17 years. But he said, listen, he said, when I go and, fig- and make a deal and make money, I'm thinking, by the way, they give away 50%, half of what they make to charities and missions and Christian organizations to help them go forward. And this is what he said. He said, I think, wow, this is great because every dollar I make, half of it goes to support missions and charities and things that are making this world a better place in the name of Jesus. So I think, wow, this is great for the mission that I'm pursuing. He views himself as a steward. And so I simply want to say that because you have money, I've met rich people that don't make money an idol. And I've met poor people that make money an idol because how much money you have does not make it an idol or not. It's your attitude towards money. Many people revolve all their decisions around the almighty dollar. Can I tell you something? Look up at me. This is important. As a pastor, I have been at the bedside of many people before they die. I have been the only person at times or the last person to see someone as they're gasping their last breath. I've been a, and people on their deathbed sometimes have used used me as a confessional. Let me tell you, or sometimes give me the, the deepest thoughts in their life at that time. I've never had anyone tell me, Pastor, I wish I would have spent more time at the office. Never. I've had a lot of people tell me, I wish I would have invested more in my kids. I wish I would have loved my wife better. I wish I would have done more with my relationship with God. You see, what happens at the end of our life is we realize we cannot take anything with us. We leave it all behind. We leave it all behind. But we live our life sometimes making all our decisions. If all your decisions you make in life, if every decision you make in life is managed by money, then you have just made money your God. Uh, talking to David, David Green, owner of Hobby Lobby, he said that they decided that they would close their stores on Sunday. And he said, Sundays is the biggest day of sales for most merchants. But they decided that they wanted their employer, employees to go to church and have a Sabbath day. So they decided to close on Sunday. And he said, we lost tons of money, but we wanted to do this out of ethics and out of value. Listen, that is someone that's saying God is number one, and then it's great to make money, but I'm going to put God at the top place. So we have the God of power, the God of pleasure, the God of money. God Venus is the God of love and romance. Sometimes people make relationships the most important thing in their life, and they put it at the top before God. You, you listen, watch Hollywood movies, and it seems like love is the God. And I've seen people, listen, listen to me well. 
I've seen people that love Jesus, that love God, but they start, they want a relationship. And so they'll look around and they'll find someone that maybe is not a Christian, but they're in love. And so they have to battle between, do I want to marry, uh, pursue someone that is not a Christian and doesn't love God? Um, and so they have to battle, weigh that out. And I've seen some people say, well, I'm going to pursue him anyways because it's going to make me happy. And maybe later they'll come to God because of me. Um, But really, if God is your God, you will say, why would I pursue someone that doesn't have the same values that I have and and value the same thing? So I'm going to make God above everything else. And number five, I'm talking about things that we put above God. Number five is the God Minerva, who's the God of wisdom. Some people put wisdom in the pursuit of wisdom, enlightenment as their overall objective that they pursue. They are, they, they, they make that their idol enlightenment and going to the next level or pursuit of knowledge. They make that their God instead of God being God. Let me say this. If power, pleasure, success, love, or romance, or wisdom, if any of that is the main focus of how you make decisions about your life, listen, you have an idol in your life. The only answer, the only person that should be in that place is God. You should be asking your, this question about every major decision you make in your life. Is this what God wants for me? Is this God's will? Am I putting God number one? Is this how God wants me to do it? Because when God is in the top place, when he's not competing, when he is number one, when he's at the top, then you will forfeit decisions that other people will make. Sometimes you'll lose money. Sometimes you'll walk away from a relationship. Sometimes you will lose power. Sometimes you will forfeit what people think is wisdom in order to say, God is number one in my life. I will make him the top priority in my life because I will have no other gods before me. So, we've seen that having no other gods before me means I can have no other God instead, that substitute, in front, that's importance, and lastly, number three, in addition to That's something that we add to our life. You know, sometimes we have God in our life, but we add, he's one of many things that we add to our life. Hello? I run into people sometimes that say, I'm a follower of God, Jesus. But really what they're saying is, I have Jesus in my life like I have a bunch of other things in my life. I have my trainer at the gym that helps me with physical fitness. I have my accountant that helps me with my finances. I have the nutritionist that helps me eat good. And I have the pastor that sprinkles some religion on me. And so I want a well-rounded life. No, you just added God to your life. God doesn't want to be a part of your life. God wants to be the center of your life. 
God doesn't want to be a sprinkle of Christianity on you. God wants to be the centrality of your life. That's the difference between someone that has a little religion and someone that's made God the center of your life. How many of you know that we have a country where a lot of people sprinkle religion on their life? How about it? Most people around Chicago, if you ask them, do you believe in God? 97% would say, yeah, I believe in God. Do you pray? Yeah, 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 occasionally I pray. Yeah, I pray. Do you ever talk to God? Sure, I talk to God. Do you have faith? Yeah, I have faith. And they may talk to you about it while they're at the bar seeing someone that's not their wife. Yeah, me and God, yeah, we got our thing going. You see, that's sprinkling religion on someone. But there's a very small minority of people that have actually counted the cost and said, no, I don't want just a sprinkle of religion. I am choosing to follow God as the central architect of my life, the Lord of my life. I have chosen to make him the master of my life so that all of my life is is run after what he wants in my life, the pattern that he designs, my marriage, my parenting, my business, my health, my body, everything that I have belongs to God. Listen, when God is God, it affects everything in your life. For example, when God is God, I'm gonna pick on some of you now. So if you're a smoker here, hide the cigarettes. You know, the reason someone says, hey, hey, pastor, should we, should we smoke? The reason I would say you should not smoke nicotine is that it's bad for your health. It creates lung cancer and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body doesn't belong to you. Your body belongs to God. So you shouldn't do something that damages that which God has given you, which is your body. And so the reason we don't smoke is because it damages the temple that's been given to us, and my temple belongs to God, and so therefore it belongs to God. I need to take care of that temple. People say, yeah, preach it, pastor. My husband smokes. Get after him. <laughs> Sorry to tell you this, but a, a, an acceptable, just as bad, we say, those smokers tell them, pastor. But do you know that gluttony and overeating is also considered a sin? That silk pie that you eat double portions of and have a little too much to eat, guess what? Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Take care of your body. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. It belongs to God. It's not yours. You say, yeah, pastor, tell them. And by the way, that's the same reason that if you're single here today, your body belongs to God, and God says that you shouldn't have sex before marriage. Uh-oh, now I'm stepping on some people's feet. And here's what the Bible says. Listen, you say, well, pastor, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm 30 years old. I'm not gonna get married for another five years. Are you telling me to abstain, to wait, that I can't have sex? I'm not telling you, the Bible's telling you. The Bible says that your body, listen, the Bible says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that your body belongs to God. It's not your own. And so that you should abstain from sexual relationships until you get married. You say, oh, pastor, I've been dating for a long time. I want a big wedding. I don't think I can do it in five years. Guess what? That'll speed it up. 
make it a smaller wedding and have a quicker engagement because that'll speed it up a little bit. But your body's a temple to the Holy Spirit. Fidelity belongs to God. In marriage, you're faithful in marriage. Why? Because God is a faithful God. One of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not commit adultery. Why? Because God has been faithful to you. He expects you to be faithful to your spouse. That's the heart of God. What I'm telling you is that when God is, when he is Lord of your life, it affects the way you parent. It affects the way you eat. It affects the way you have sex. It affects the way you marry. It affects the way you go to work. It affects the way you talk. It affects what you do with your worship. It affects every area of your life because he is number one. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 33, it says, they worship the Lord, but they also serve their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations that they had brought. In other words, these people were worshiping God, but worshiping other gods as well. And a lot of us have done that. Maybe not with idols, but with priorities that we make in our life. We want God. Yeah, I follow God but we have a lot of other small G gods in our life also that we have not submitted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let me close with this. Listen, if you saw just the 10 commandments as rules that you have to live by, there's another 600 commandments in the old Testament. Listen, none of us, none of us can keep all the commandments. We all fall short. We all break the commandments. If you're good at keeping the commandments and you think that you're better than other people, then you'll get full of pride and arrogance and get real religious and condemn people that aren't religious. If you fail and acknowledge that you fail a lot, sometimes you just give up and say, I tried. I run into people that say, I tried Christianity. No, you tried the rules of Christianity. You didn't try Christianity. Listen, because Christianity is not about keeping rules. The only way you can keep the rules of the Ten Commandments, the only way that you can follow this style of lifestyle that, that God prescribes, loving your enemies, forgiving people that hurt us, uh, worshiping and having joy in the middle of trials and tribulation. I mean, those things are impossible for us to keep. There's so many commandments in scripture, so many principles to live by. The only way that we can do it, the absolute only way that we can do it is through the power of God inside of us. Listen, if you try to follow the rules without the spirit of God inside of us, you will just become legalistic. Jesus came because we've all broken the rules. Jesus came because none of us could be perfect. Christianity is about you submitting to a savior and say, I've broken the rules. I fall short of your perfection. I need you to wash me, God. Cleanse me because I fall far short of where you want me to live, God. And now come inside me, spirit of the living God, and give me the power to be renewed from the inside out with the power of the most high God as he changes me through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it mean, means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not a rule key but someone that submits to the Lordship of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God.
So I want to close with this. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Maybe this message has convicted you. I don't apologize for that. Some of you say, I shouldn't have come to church today. <laughs> Let me tell you, the only proper way to respond to conviction, you can run from it, or you could respond to it and say, yes, Lord, you're right. The word of God has exposed this. If today you realize that you've allowed things to crowd God out of first place, you've allowed things to come before God, or you've added things equal to God, and it's affected your body, your mind, your soul, your job, how you live, you've allowed it to happen to your life. then I would encourage you at this moment just to say, I'm going to renew that place again where God needs to be. I'm going to bow myself before him and say, Lord, I choose to follow the first commandment and say, I shall not have any other gods before me. And so I say, I repent and I say, Lord, Take your proper place in my life. That'll affect my life, my eating, my talking, my walking, my marriage, my dating, my body. It affects every area of my life. And I'm going to say, Lord, take your proper place in my life. Because how many of you know we can let it slip? We can let it slip. And I think there's some people today, you've heard this message, and you need to, you need to, in a moment when I ask you to, you need to come up to this altar, get on your knees and say, God, I've allowed other things to take importance or priority or make my decisions or crowd you out or substitute or I've allowed syncretism to happen in my life. I've mixed things from the world with you. But today, God, I'm saying you are Lord of my life. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. And there shall not be a person, a thing, a business or myself that's put above you. You are number one, God. And I bow my knee before you and declare you are number one. I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to come to this altar and do that. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've never given my life to Christ. I've been one of those rule keepers trying to be good enough, but I realize I'm not good enough. I'm tired of it. I'm worn out. I need to give my life to Christ. That means I need to become born again. The Bible says you need to believe repent, and then eventually get baptized. But if you've never given your life to Christ, stop trying to live a Christian life when you're not a Christian. Stop trying to live out Christianity until you have Christ inside of you, giving you the power to do it. It's impossible. You won't last long. You'll walk away. You cannot live as a Christian without being a Christian. It starts with giving your life to Christ and saying, I can't do it, God. I need a savior. Come, wash me. 
Come inside me, King of kings and Lord of lords. I submit myself to you. I become a follower of Jesus. I believe what you did on the cross. You forgave and you can cleanse me and wash me and make me a new person. Listen, you cannot follow Christianity on your own power unless you become a Christian. And some of you need to become Christians today by saying, I believe, I repent, I give my life to you, Jesus. I choose to be a follower of yours. I need your power to live out this life that I can't live on my own. So I'm gonna open up this altar right now. If God has spoken to you about putting him number one, or if you wanna become a Christian today, then I'm gonna ask that you come to this altar and just get on your knees and say, today, Lord, I'm putting you in number one place. You need to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Go ahead, the altar's open. And I know this place, there should be people on their knees at this place saying, Less, yes, Lord. I'm going to put you number one. Yes, Lord. I'm going to put you number one. Yes, Lord. You are number one. Yes, Lord. You are number one. Yes. Yes, I put you in the place you deserve, God. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, I will have no other gods before me. Yes, I bow my knee, my life, my body, my soul, what I do, how I live, God. I put it under your lordship, Jesus. You're number one. Can't do this on my own. I need your power, Lord. You are number one, number one, number one. I will have no other gods before me. You will be king of kings and lords of my life. I bow my knee and I declare that I will not allow anything or anyone to be number one but you, God. Come, Spirit of God, and give me the power to live for you. Come, Spirit of God, and give me the power to allow you to be number one in my life. I will have no other gods. I repent of any other gods that I put in front of you, God. I turn my back on gods that I've made too important in my life, relationships that have been too important, things that have been too important, possessions that have been too important, things that have idolized God that are too important. And I say, I belong to you. Be Lord of my life today, God, I pray. Just take a moment to tell God that. Just take a moment to be honest before God.